This episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Become a patron today at patreon.com forward slash into the portal. The year was unknown. The dirty cobblestone streets of Westminster lay far below the third story window where a young maid was preparing herself for the night ahead. It was a new household, and one that brought her to the highly coveted Berkeley Square, a place where the rich and influential rub shoulders and where the houses exuded luxury. That is, except for number 50, the house where she found herself employed. The outer face of the building had a filthy, cobwebbed appearance, littered with garbage and handbills, things that did not seem to match up with the rest of the neighborhood surrounding it. Odd, she thought. Not thinking on it for too long, the young maid went about her work, eventually settling down for the evening. It was well after midnight when a horrible, insane shrieking began, waking up the entire house in a blind panic. The lord of the house rushed upstairs to the third floor, his heavy footsteps pounding on the stairs as he went, two at a time in his haste to get to the distressed woman. Finally reaching the top of the stairs, ripping open the heavy bedroom door, the maid was found petrified. Standing rigid in the far corner of the room, her skin had turned sheet white, and her bulging eyes betrayed the sheer amount of terror pouring through her veins. The only words she managed to utter was, Please, don't let it touch me. Never regaining her senses, the poor woman was committed to an asylum until her passing a mere week after the incident, while the nameless thing of number 50 Berkeley would continue to terrorize residents and trespassers alike over a span of nearly 200 years. Join us on Into the Portal for one of London's most terrifying mysteries, the horror of Berkeley Square. Welcome back into the portal. I'm Amber Ray. And I'm Andrew McKay. Welcome back, everyone. Mm-hmm, welcome. It feels like it hasn't been that long because we released a <laughs> Friday episode this week. We did. Which was sweet. And we're really stoked on it. We got yeah. some great feedback so far. Really positive. Film Friday. I think it's going to be big. I think it's going to be great. Mm-hmm. Super, super fun. Yeah. So again, yeah, shoot us your ideas uh, for Film Friday. Yeah, we've but already we'll, got a few in the bank and we're yes, going to we keep adding to it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so before we get started, we just have a, as usual, tiny bit of housekeeping, and I wanted to kick that off with a shout out to one of our listeners named Matt Drew. So mm-hmm. thank you so much, man, because uh, he always reaches out to us. He's uh, always on, engaged. He's always super engaged. Um, uh, just, yeah, big supporter of the show, and we really appreciate it. So just wanted to give you a shout out, man. Mm-hmm. Now, we also have some new reviews. We do. Which is awesome. Mm-hmm. I always love them. Keep them rolling in, you guys. Please. Um, so we had a few new ones on the US iTunes. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first one was uh, a laugh. Gave, 
kind of. <laughs> oh, for sure. Oh, I had a blast. And honestly, I would recommend anyone who's on the US iTunes just click on Trashery and see the myriad of hilarious reviews this guy has left. People yeah. that are incredibly negative and just weird. But so he anyways. gave us a soaring one star review uh, titled, Ugh. Um, <laughs> And then basically proceeded to say that we talk over each other too much, too much banter, blah, blah, blah. La, la, la. Anyways. But (laughs) I thought it was funny because thank you. I just want to say. Oh, yeah. yeah. Because you listened to 10 of our episodes. So (laughs) I appreciate that. We we appreciate the determination to like us. Seriously. He's like, I gave up after 10 episodes. It's like, dude, that's like 18 hours of ITP content. It is. So... (laughs) Anyway, Pretty funny. Yeah. Also, big thank you to uh, D is for Darkness for their sweet five-star review. Um, says to give her a listen. Um, so listen to the man. And give check- her a listen. Yeah. So, so listen to this guy. Check us out. If you're already listening to us, then you're already listening. So it doesn't really... Yeah. But thank you again for that five-star review from D is, uh, D is for Darkness. Really appreciate it. That was funny. Because yeah. I, I wrote that in. It was like, yeah, like, he says to give her a listen. So give us a listen. But wait, <laughs> you're already listening. Hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wah, wah. Yeah. Uh, we also had one from John Graner, and I, thank you. That was very um, cogent remarks uh, on the depth of research, originality of topics. We always appreciate that. So thank you for your recommendation. Definitely. We had one from Australia, Heavy Brettles. Heavy Brettles. Yeah. Five stars. Um, and he says he found us through Monsters Among Us, and now he's hooked. Sweet. So that's awesome. That's a good feeling to be included in company like that. Yeah, that was really cool. Because such an amazing job at that show. So This next one is great. I love it. It's from Budrick the Zombie, and it's actually on Stitcher Radio. So we cool. don't often check our other platforms, but we're starting to now be more yeah, regular. So yeah. if you do use those, like Podbean, all that kind of stuff, just make sure you... Yeah, if you want to give us a review, we would love to see it. Totally. Uh, so anyways, this guy, it was just from 12 days ago. He says, precious material this side of the portal. <laughs> Do yourself a favor and just subscribe. Amber Ray and Andrew McKay or <laughs> Drooper McRae. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Drooper McRae. alter ego that people don't really know about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna. We're gonna start using that. That's oh hilarious. God. All right. But anyways, he says we're not only the most down to earth and friendly hosts of podcasting, but they're also front runners in reporting lesser known spooky events and unsolved mysteries that wow. the bigger shows either do not know about or don't bother to cover. Wow. ITB is a wonderful cast for those who are tired of hearing about Bigfoot, shadow people, which are old news, and are looking for something they haven't seen before. Easily binge worthy. Wish you could give him more than five stars. He says, which oh, thank you. Well, thank you so really much. appreciate that. that. Oh. It's so awesome. Means a ton. It really does. And so again, like I said, um, we did get some love on Podbean, uh, which was actually a few months old. Yeah, which, so sorry we apologize. About that, guys. We're yeah. kind of not on top of that. But thank you for your love. Um, hilarious. We had one from Wes. Yeah. Oh, that was so funny. Love the bun rating system there. That's yeah. hilarious. Yeah. And flavors. Oh my gosh. They have a profile picture with a pug wearing a bow tie, which I, I'm just a sucker for pugs. So. Sure. Anyways, Easy. we love your style and the raving review, so thank you yeah. very much. So just thanks to everyone. That's just... It, it, so much love. It truly makes like, our day. It helps the show so, so much to kind of give us more exposure. Um, so keep rolling them in. We really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. 
once more, just want to reiterate too, that we have our ITP pumpkin carving contest before mm-hmm. we get started here. So we're coming down to the wire. Not really, but we're getting close to Halloween. And uh, we've already had uh, one really awesome submission and there's a few trickling in as well. But the standout so far has been uh, the Chewy, the totally. Chewbacca pumpkin from Thanks, uh, Chris, from Chris over at uh, More Gooder Than Podcast. Yeah. So make sure to go check those guys out as well. But um, yeah, we're running that contest. We're going to have a sweet prize pack put together. We have the boys from Kryptonaut Podcast that are helping us judge. Mm-hmm. So uh, all you got to do is follow us on whatever social media platform you choose to post your jack-o'-lantern uh tag us in your post uh follow the kryptonaut boys as well and uh yeah and then we're uh, we're just going to be going through all the submissions and seeing how artistic you guys are so yeah let's get those how creative in. can you get indeed indeed and it doesn't have to be good like it can be like because i know oh well, i am not, good. not that i mean good. i am you are the more artistically inclined person <laughs> in this uh but even like a pumpkin it's hard man so whatever like, totally if it doesn't come out looking the way you thought it was gonna look just post it anyway it's, it's all funny. good yeah we just want to have fun with it so <laughs> yeah all right are we ready to dive into <clears throat> tonight's topic we are all right so tonight we are heading back to britain to discuss one of the most haunted places in the history of London mm-hmm. and continues to this day, some would say. It's a home with unexplainable activity. Residing in the desirable neighborhood of Mayfair in the West End of London, the city of New Westminster, which is a major tourist site today right. and was bustling way back um, in the 1800s and 1900s as well. Right. So the focus here is on 50 Berkeley Square. Yes. It was a nice but otherwise ordinary four-story brick house. Yeah. Just like any other in the neighborhood, and you can do a Google search and um, quickly discover that. It's very nice looking now. Yeah. Apparently back in the day was not the case. It was a little bit more um, dilapidated in a state of disrepair, some would say, and for very poignant reasons. Mm. So, as the years wore on in London, and this is in the 1800s we're talking about because... um, this particular neighborhood came about in the late 1700s. Yeah. And um, the entire square was built by, oh, who was, William who was Kent that guy? Was William the, Kent. Uh, was sort of the famous um, architect or whatever. And, Kent, uh, eh? That, yeah. that in itself. Like, doesn't he have a town or I wonder if area named after him? ties to the area, area of Kent. Kent. Who knows? I yeah. don't know. But anyways, um, the whole neighborhood is one of those ones that's more upscale. Mm. Um, Lots of lords, ladies, dukes, and other esteemed and wealthy members of London's upper class have been known to make residence. I believe uh, you mentioned it, Andrew. Winston Churchill actually resided in 50 Berkeley Square at one point. I don't think it was actually 50, but it was on the square. So he was a neighbor of 50 Berkeley Square. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But it's interesting because even after its construction in its early days it definitely had a marked history mm-hmm. and william kent yeah like we said he was the designer um opened its doors to tenants in the at the end of the 18th century as we said right. it was kind of a rental style building before it had any permanent residence in the 1800s yeah like a really so, fancy boarding house basically, basically yeah exactly so there's lots of different occupants, uh, lots of people occupying rooms, um, and then there were whispers of strange residents that were occupying 50 Berkeley. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it was these early years that it was sort of, it got this its first brushes with, I mean, tragedy, so to speak, I guess, mm-hmm. or something horrifying. Um when witnesses actually were standing in the street one evening, I guess walking by, it was sort of, it must have been in the summer or spring when people were out and about. Mm-hmm. And people witnessed 
a young girl who was allegedly named Adeline plunged to her death from the top story window, from, from the attic window. Um, so this is actually above the fourth story, just above the fourth story. Uh, it is said that she was attempting to escape the advances of her abusive uncle. And then after her tragic de- death, the residents in the square reported having a haunting vision of this ghost um, fallen from this upper story window, like repeatedly over and over again, the mm. same suicide. Almost like nightly, hey, just like an echo of yeah. what happened. So right, o- right off the bat here, um, people are sort of thinking that they're dealing with a haunting, a haunted house. Um, it definitely had the reputation of a haunted house. Definitely. Because of these, yeah, these these brushes with just, yeah, very negative things, basically. It's That's interesting. Like, okay, so that is one of the Genesis stories, right? The Because it's, it's referenced in a lot of travel documentaries, a lot of, like, haunted UK um, videos and different publications and things. There were a couple different um instances and like i alluded to there were talk of strange residents one person in particular mr dupree right we'll get into because he was definitely a shady character to say yeah, the least but it's, it's, it's interesting though because okay right off the bat like it's not it's a new building a new fresh start so it shouldn't have a very it shouldn't be, marked past yet, well exactly anyway, right? exactly like it, it, it comes about very early on definitely which is interesting because initially when we were doing the research we came across some of the later stories and we couldn't we didn't know where it all originated from and right. i was like where where's the nut of this story exactly and then this where's is where the we one kinda... massive you know massacre or something or well, one exactly. whatever right? yeah totally i have a quote here from charles harper who's the author of haunted houses that was published in 1913 cool. and there's been many authors that have either gone into the 50 Berkeley to do their writing or written about 50 Berkeley. Very inspiring for horror literature. Totally. (laughs) So anyway, it goes as follows. Um, And there's, it sounds a little strange because it's, uh, I don't even know the, the, um, what's it called? Not dialect, but the uh, colloquialisms or so to speak or whatever. Mm -hmm. The haunted house in Berkeley Square was long. One of those things that no country cousin came up from the the provinces to London on a sightseeing bent, ever willingly missed. Number 50 wore an exceedingly uncared-for appearance. Soap, paint, and whitewash were unused for years, and grime clung, clung to the brickwork and windows alike. The area was uh, chalked with uh, waste, sorry, choked with wasted handbills, wisps of straw, and all the accumulations of the speedily made a derelict London house. It's so funny. This is a very... Um, it's weird sort of phrasing. Eh? It is weird phrasing. The very picture... Like handbills. Okay, oh, like, yeah. A handbill is we, actually a flyer. Right. I, I forgot that. what it was. I was like, wait a second. You have like a duck bill? In? What are you doing? What, a handbill? Yeah. At first I thought it was actually like um, money. I thought it was, oh. like, you know, like bills that you'd carry around. But no, it's actually like a flyer. Well, obviously it's not just like cash laying around. Well, that's what I know. I was like, whoa, is this a really rich neighborhood? Right. Like, jeez, people are just throwing away money. <laughs> so he goes on to say, this house was the very picture of misery. And every passing stranger stopped the first errand boy and asks, asked various questions to them, to which the answer was generally ha- haunted house. Haunted house. Haunted house. Haunted house. Very loimy accent. Very loimy. Or if the question happened to be who lives there, the obvious reply was ghostesses. Ghostesses. <laughs> I don't even know. I can't do it in the first So the, the point of that is that the the public consciousness was that this was a the most haunted place in the city. Mm-hmm. And it was a place to be wary of. Exactly. Obviously, this publication comes um, well after the construction. Totally. A, a century or more after. Yeah, like, yeah, well over So well it's over had time century. to accumulate because in the 
this century, in the 1800s, we're going to have a lot of colorful stories and different haunting tales. Um, but going back to its genesis, I did mention that Mr. Dupre. Yeah. And he is not very well known as far as like historical record, but definitely in British folklore, he is very much known. Yeah. And this was because he supposedly had an insane brother who lived with him at Berkeley Square, 50 right. Berkeley Square. And this brother was the type that you don't really show to the public, apparently, because he was kept locked away in the third story room. This room in particular in the third story is going to be the focal point of all of these um, paranormal encounters, tragedies, different um, For deaths. For the most part, yeah. Things like that. So uh, definitely the hot zone. Yeah. But this guy, Mr. Dupre, he he and his brother <laughs> lived there for a time. I'm not sure how many years, and I'm not sure what the fate of them were in the end. Yeah. But supposedly, this insane brother, which I'm not even sure, he's just literally described as insane or just like. Um, so it's like at the time this heart almost like back- Hyde, like a Jekyll yeah. and Hyde is kind yeah. of what I'm imagining. Exactly, that's exactly. And what obviously, I'm like we just covered with our last one of our last episodes, the Airedale Asylum. These types of mental illnesses and things that people didn't understand were not it kosher. It could have been schizophrenia. It could have been anything. Could have been anything. So anyways, he kept him locked away, um, gave him his meals through a hole in the door, <laughs> didn't even really give him any chance to be sociable or anything like that. But the rumor goes that one day he locked a little girl in with his insane brother, and no one knows what her fate was, but... Many attest to seeing a ghostly little girl wandering the halls and wandering around the street outside 50 Berkeley. So again, this was one of the early stories, one of the nut stories that kind of contributed to this sort of... um, Genesis of the the folklore. Well, just the reputation in general of the house. Yeah, for sure. So, Mm. then we get into a little bit more... uh, mainstream i guess a little bit more um <laughs> i mean it uh, is like confirmed yeah. history because then we get an actual prime minister that lived at berkeley square That's which right. is very interesting um it wasn't until 1827 that it became the home of george canning which is actually still commemorated by a plaque that you can see on the front of the house it's a blue plaque circular and if you google earth it you can see it from the street view mm-hmm. But Canning, he wasn't the first long-term resident. He obviously took over the whole house, I'm imagining. He didn't have roommates. No. And so that's when it kind of transitioned into a single household. Um, yeah, so apparently, I'm not sure how long George Canning actually occupied the house, because supposedly he lived there until until 1827. So right, he could until have been his there. Death. Yeah. Exactly. And Canning is a very interesting guy. He was a Tory. And uh, he had a long, colorful career in British politics, uh, mostly serving under King George IV, who actually disliked Canning and tried to thwart his foreign policies to no avail, apparently. Mm -hmm. And he did serve as a senior cabinet minister under several PMs until he was chosen to succeed Lord Liverpool. Um, He had to resign because he had some major health problems. I see. But interestingly, Canning only reigned as PM for less than four months or 119 days before he actually died himself. 
and this makes him the shortest serving uh, prime minister in all of England, apparently. Yeah, four months ain't a long time. Not to the say that his death had anything to do with Berkeley Square, because he actually wasn't in the residence at when the time he, of his death. Right. But apparently he was the first person, according to some sources, to experience activity within the house. So as a resident, I'm assuming, because obviously people in the streets were making their own observations and comments and all this kind yeah. of stuff. This was the first, rumors like, are starting to spread. Exactly. This was the first poignant kind of like take on the house from somebody that is a historical figure. Exactly. Yes. So Canning, he definitely had some experiences. He did hear inexplicable sounds emanating from various places around the home with the basement singled out in particular. Yeah. He also had horrific nightmares that were repeated. So that's weird. Again, that kind of reminds me of like echoes of something. There's some sort of energy that's there that's manifesting and it's, it's trying to fight through and trying to get people to notice it almost. Exactly. So he did pass away, but again, it was at a different location. Despite it being his home, he was actually visiting family, the story goes, which I'm not sure we'd have to dig a little bit further just to confirm all that. Yeah. But it was just an interesting point of note. Um, he's actually buried at Westminster Abbey. So again, like it's interesting, right? Because <laughs> you get a lot of sort of craziness at the very genesis. And then early into the 1800s, you get this very notable figure living there. Right. Which does speak, again, to the type of neighborhood it was, yeah. right? super, super, super duper fancy. And super duper. The, the interesting thing about this, I find super that <laughs> he never described what kind of nightmares he was having. I mean, obviously, oh, a nightmare yeah. is a nightmare, but mm. is it the exact same nightmare reoccurring, or is it just you're having, re- like, you know, nightmares Or was he night? envisioning things in his dreams that other people later on would go to envision and be literally Maybe. petrified by? Right. To the point where they lost their minds and either were found dead or died truly after. Yeah. But I mean, repeated nightmares is a good indication that there's a presence. Yeah. For sure. So th- this, yeah, th- things would slowly get worse at number 50 Berkeley Square, essentially, mm-hmm. for anyone who kind of taunted the house, so to speak, who thought that they could handle it. They would hear the stories and didn't really think much exactly. of them. It's, so, it's funny, though, because after Canning, it kind of... We couldn't really find who lived there. I don't know if there was just like a caretaker living there with obviously someone owned it, but we didn't really, we couldn't really uncover that. Well, okay. Here's the thing. Back in the day, the, the way real estate worked in the UK was like way different than now. So like, it would make sense that there would be like a permanent caretaker for the residents, even if the home wasn't technically occupied, uh, well, a occupied or owned by one individual person so oh, okay. to speak. So it could like, have been state owned. Like yeah, maybe. like there's different there was different systems for like titles for land back in the day. And okay. I just don't, it doesn't necessarily mean if there's a caretaker there that there has to be like an owner of the house, I don't think. Or maybe it was just kind of in Canning's family and they just hadn't figured out what to do with it or could have been something like that, yeah. Or just hmm. owned by the yeah, I mean like I guess all these people living in this area are descendants of royalty essentially, right? So it's just mm-hmm. maybe gone back into the trusts of whoever was owns the actual land it's on, basically, right? That's true. And and just the idea of there being a nameless owner, a nameless landlord kinda comes into play for a lot of the history of this house. Yeah. There was one name I came across, Beersted, but I'm not sure how long he actually had held on to the right. house for. But anyways. Yeah. Hmm. So anyway. 
1840, we kind of got the next, the next, um, yeah, development in the story. So definitely by this point, it has a very firm reputation as the haunted house of pretty, London. Pretty much. <laughs> and yeah, so in 1840, there was a, a noble, a 20 year old nobleman named Sir Robert Warboy. So he was the son of royalty, essentially of nobility. And <laughs> Warboy, that's a funny name. <laughs> it's kind of a funny name. So the story basically goes that he was out drinking with friends in a nearby area and they were discussing tales of the town, ghost stories, different folklore and things like that. And one of the ones that came up was, of course, the haunting of number 50 Berkeley Square. Mm. So super already in the public consciousness. And this was obviously the tip top of uh, what was uh, scary because he ends up taking a bet. (laughs) So basically he heard the uh, alleged haunted house and he laughed at the idea of it being haunted. He laughed at the idea of ghosts, of monsters, different hmm. things like this. Uh-oh. But his friends felt otherwise. And so they dared him to spend a night alone in the house, in the, in the room that was claimed to be haunted. This is classic, like, rich boy mentality. Totally. Like, oh, nothing can touch me and all this kind of stuff. This is funny. Very this, much so. Oh, perfect lead up for, like, a horror movie. So I, I'm, I'm assuming <laughs> this was the room on the third floor. Because there's instances, instances in the attic as well, which oh, on the fourth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but all over the house there's been experiences right so anyway so robert accepted their challenge now this is again where you like you just mentioned things are vague so like the nameless landlord at the time of number 50 was apparently horrified at the idea and really didn't want to let them ha- let them do it but finally agreed upon the proposal because they were very very persistent and this mm. sir robert warboys was a, a well-known person in the area the they, family was wonder if they um graced him up a little bit with some cash mm, i wonder you know, actually they probably did probably, probably. So basically the two conditions that the landlord stated to Warboys was the first that he had to take with him a loaded pistol into the room. And the second was that he would use uh, the servant's bell um, to summon assistance if he required it, if, <laughs> if he was under attack, essentially, right? Freaky little bells, man. Yeah. Something so bells in horror movies. I know. Well, especially back in the day. That's your only your doorbell. That's all you got. It's just a horrifying sound. <laughs> of a so Robert... Not afraid. Goes upstairs. Everything's seemingly normal. I don't know. Like, he, he's going up there to prove his friends wrong, and he's, he's feeling confident, right? Mm-hmm. The story goes that shortly after midnight, so he's up there for a few hours. Everything's fine. Quiet. He's up there around 10 o'clock. Then shortly after midnight, the servant's bell starts to gently ring. Just a gentle ringing. And then after a short pause, the bell begins to furiously ring very, very loudly. Like... Something very something transitioned very quickly in that scenario. So the landlord and the friends of Warboys dash up to the room, swing open the door to see Robert, Sir Robert, cowering in the corner. Hmm. He's completely ghostly white, no blood in his face at all. He's petrified, and he's gripping the pistol, shaking his hand, pointing it out towards... Oh, I guess I should say at this point, they rush up and they hear a shot fired before they enter the room. Oh, One single shot. Okay. They bust open the door. He's cowering in the corner, pointing at what is no longer there. Nothing in the room. Hmm. His eyes are bulging out of its sockets, and basically one version states that he was totally unable to speak and then died shortly after from the shock. In other accounts, they bust into the room, and he was already dead with his petrified hands, like, hardened over the grip of the pistol. Yeah, his face contorted with fear is what I read, too. 
almost like very similar to how in the, I, I'm sorry I'm making a Harry Potter reference um in Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets when they find because like the the basilisk and it, as soon as you look at it, it petrifies you right just the yeah like that's kind of what that reminds that me that was of. like from the movie The Ring too wasn't it right they find the bodies and they're all like weirdly contorted like the faces oh, are like true. stretched out and like all weird and stuff as if they'd just seen the most terrifying thing in their lives before yeah. they died yeah Hmm. So basically the landlord, you know, he traced Robert's gaze to try to see like, what were you, where were you, where was he aiming? What were you aiming at? They find the bullet hole in the wall uh, opposite to where he was sitting and just assumed, speculated that he must have been firing at the the famous ghost or thing of number 50 Berkeley Square. Hmm. But of course the bullet had no effect. Seemingly. And that becomes a commonality in a lot of these stories where weapons are brought into this room with people. It's not like they're venturing without anything that would possibly protect them. Maybe against a ghost, though, you're not going to, like, a gun. It's the most frustrating thing. It's like every time Amber and I watch horror movies and I'm starting to get freaked out, I'm always (laughs) like, these people are, like, walking into the woods. All they got is a a hiking stick. Like, where's your 50 cal? And then I'm like, oh, wait. And then I get a sad face. I'm like, it would do it. Yeah. Wop, 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 wop. Well, maybe in some cases, like when we watch the ritual, it seemed to have some effect on that creature. Hey, when he finally like save it, save it. But anyways, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, that is a common common thing. The single shot in this yeah. house. So what the hell is in this house? <laughs> I don't really. So know. far, we've got it gets weirder. Like it seems like this house attracts colorful people that are either have a few screws loose or are just like he's like he's overly confident and to the point where they're almost taunting the energies yeah. of this house. Yeah. You can't hurt me, but wait a second. <laughs> but it's interesting though because you do get other people who occupy the house seemingly without any consequence. One of these people would be Miss Elizabeth Curzon who did take over the house sometime after canning. We're not exactly sure the date of that. Um, but apparently she died in 1859 in the house of a peaceful, natural cause. So yeah, she was like 90 years old or, or something like she that. She was, so. yeah. And it's not as if they found her ghost white with like a contorted facial expression right, or anything. exactly. Hopefully not. <laughs> it wasn't mentioned. Not in the accounts I could find, that's for sure. <laughs> no. And it, it will come up again in more modern times where there was a Mr. Madges who comes and occupies the house. And he, again, has a very peaceful experience where it's not as if he doesn't note energies but he doesn't um, exacerbate them, right. I guess, would yeah. be the difference there. But anyways, yeah, so Miss Curzon, she occupies the house with um, basically no no malignant sort of entities hanging around her, supposedly. Maybe there were, though, and she was haunted her entire time, and no one knows. <laughs> but she might have just not said anything. That's who, true. Who knows, or right? maybe she was really blind or something. She couldn't notice it. <laughs> Deaf and blind? Deaf and blind. That's advantageous in a haunting scenario. <laughs> But after her death, there was another fellow that came along, a Mr. Myers. And some people say in some accounts that this is when the sinister reputation started to begin for this house. But obviously it was previous. Exactly. As we've already illustrated. So Mr. Myers, he's kind of an unknown figure during his time and after. So his contemporaries didn't really know him too well. Yeah. He was apparently very eccentric and for good reason. So he occupied the house for about 20-ish years, maybe. He might have left after about 10 or 11, though. It, it's very vague. It's vague, yeah. 
So apparently his story goes, he was jilted at the altar. Yep. The poor man was set to be married. He had even, he had had everything prepared for his new bride in 50 Berkeley. Everything was done to the nines, new wallpaper, uh, fresh carpets were um, brought in from like the finest uh, decor places in, in London. And all the best furnishings as well. So apparently he was tossed aside for another man on the Oof. day of their wedding. Rough. And after this terrible encounter with the opposite sex, Myers never allowed another woman or even any other person really near him. He became a hopeless recluse. He, he pulled never, a Tesla. He did. Yeah. Yeah. It was very sad. And I had a quote here um, from him. and Well, not from him, sorry, about him. I don't know if you want to do the honor, sir, Andrew. Yeah. The quote goes as follows. He remained there, leaving everything in exactly the same state as when he heard the new news, which had ruined his life. Some of the carpets were not even unrolled and remained for years tied up just as they were when they left the warehouse. Hmm. So obviously didn't really get over. And he began just locking himself in this one room that we've mentioned, right? On the third floor, the farthest reaches of the house... He only came out at night, and he would wander around by candlelight. And many people at this time thought that 50 Berkeley was actually unoccupied, and that the ghostly light from the candle was actually just that. It was a spirit or a ghost or something. <sighs> but it says here... I mean, here, that is spooky. I mean, obviously people would be thinking that. You're seeing that. It looks... That would have to look like an apparition floating around the hallways. And again, I'm going to make another really silly reference here, because um, I grew up... Loving the Olsen twins, obviously. And uh, there was this one, it was called It Takes Two. And in the very <laughs> beginning, like, one kid is, like, you know, like, she's, like, an orphan. She's, like, in, in like, a kid's camp. And then there's, like, the rich, whatever, daughter. And they're actually... Actually, no, in the movie, I'm not sure if they're supposed to be siblings or not. I don't think they're supposed to be siblings. But somehow, they're <laughs> twins. <laughs> but anyways, they exchange places. But there's this one scene where the rich kid... Goes to the camp, and then the camp kid goes to... That's Parent Trap. It is, essentially. Exactly. It's very close. It's very, very close. But essentially what happens is the kid from the camp, so I think it's Mary-Kate, she goes up to the house, and it's like this big, sprawling mansion. And she sees... It's not night or anything, but she sees in the window the the lady of the house, so this, like, complete biatch of a person. Anyways. And... (laughs) And she's wearing this white mask. She's doing whatever facial thing. And she literally thinks it's exactly that. Like, she sees it through the window. She's like, it's a ghost. And she literally runs all the way back to camp. (laughs) But anyways, it just reminded me of that. Because it's like, if you're a little kid and you happen to be out in the street at night and you see, like, a ghostly sort of candle coming from, like, an upper story window. Well, and you've got no... Your imagination's running wild, Absolutely. And back then, you had no other, like, frame of reference. Like, you know what I mean? You weren't, like, watching Scooby-Doo on the weekends. No one knew Mr. Myers. He didn't come out during the day. He never saw him come and go out that front door, so therefore. Yeah. But anyways, yeah. So Mr. Myers actually had a relative named Dorothy Neville. She was a great dame of the British aristocracy. And later on, so this comes in the 1900s, she actually wrote a memoir. And she describes how Thomas Myers was actually her relation. And that he did reside in 50 Berkeley. So until then, this resident had been mostly nameless to the majority of Londoners. 
and even fewer knew that it was occupied. So Which again, so it was funny. just this haunting 20 year, um, or could be close to 20 years. I think it was more so like 11 or 12 that he occupied it. But like it was those 12 years. That's a long time for people to think that it was not occupied. Totally. And for him to similarly not really upkeep it. So it would come fall into the state of disrepair that would definitely be conducive to those types of thoughts. Right? I think the question that comes up for me with, with Mr. Myers is whether or not he really is just, he just fell into a spiraling state of depression mm-hmm. or if that was just, or well, three options maybe, or if that was just coincidental and then he ends up in a house that's just further sucking the life out of him. There's this, Ooh, the energy or yeah. presence and there is not letting him get out of that state of depression. That's an interesting or way to look at it. Or the fact that, that he had prepped the house before their wedding was like a curse. Yeah. And that's why he got dumped. He couldn't escape it, maybe. Anyway. Ooh. Because there, there was another sort of interesting side note about Myers that kind of adds to that whole, like, you know, like, is there nefarious things going on? Some say that he was really adamant of recontacting his lost love. For me, I'm thinking this is more of a vengeance type of recontacting because apparently he was engaging in satanic worship and yeah, so like, some sort not, of practices. She's not passed away. He's trying to reach out via other That's what I'm trying means. to... Exactly, right? Because like obviously voodoo. she's married to another guy, so... That sounds like witchcraft. It does. So again, what kind of weird things did he unleash during those 12, 13... Imagine if it was 13 years. Could Just like that, that post from that podcast. Oh, day. yeah. <laughs> did you know, guys, this year, Halloween <laughs> is falling on Friday the 13th. For the first time in 300 years, <laughs> Halloween is on Friday the 13th. <laughs> You should have seen how many people were reacting to it, being like, oh my god, I can't believe it. That's so crazy. Like, it's going to be like D-Day. It's going to be apocalypse. Can... Oh my god. So funny. But anyways, sorry. Yeah. That's okay. a side note. Yeah. But it's interesting, though, because this Mr. Myers is very vague. He's very, like, creepy in himself. And just the fact that his story, right, just becoming this hopeless recluse and just being jilted, all of it is very bad juju. Definitely bad juju. And if there was already something there, yeah, like you wrote in here, could he have awoken some some sort of demonic exactly. presence? So again, this is interesting. There was another thing in 1873. So the actual city of London um, sued Mr. Myers and the owner, this uh, Beersted guy that I right. mentioned earlier, they because they didn't they weren't paying their taxes and they weren't upkeeping the property. But apparently Myers wasn't prosecuted because of the house's reputation. And in one article, it states that um, both Myers and Beersted were summoned and neither appeared before the council. And then they just kind of basically threw it out saying, well, it's the Haunted House of London. So I guess whatever. Yeah. It's fine. So Game in the meantime, they, they so they thought the house had been abandoned. So this is where Myers kind of just fades like a blip into the obscure annals of British history and you don't really see like where his where he ends up you don't really know what happens to Beersted right I don't really know but in the meantime neighbors are still reporting unearthly moans and screams along with the sound of furniture being dragged with bells ringing and windows slamming that's unsettling yeah very unsettling there's a lot of uh, that that to me is like poltergeist like activity unless there is a legit monstrous like entity in there doing this stuff like dragging furniture being dragged what is this like a cthulhu type thing like we're gonna bring that up later (sighs) yeah that's coming up i don't know man yeah and myers just vanishes he does that's so bizarre no forwarding address by 1972 according to most accounts he was 
What if he just disappeared into the underground of London? What if the, the, the thing just got him? The nameless horror? Who knows? Who knows? I don't know, man. All right. Before we continue here, we're going to say... Doesn't it remind you of a Lovecraftian tale? Sorry, I just totally interrupted <laughs> you No, that's you okay. No, that's really, totally... really, really, this, like, after we started researching this episode, I busted out the... Oh, Lovecraft? The, um, oh, what is it? Like the, the anthology. Yeah, the Nepro- Necronomicon anthology, which we could probably find some stuff in there to do oh, side stories yes. on or something like that. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, before we continue here, we are going to take the, our first promo break in a while. Mm-hmm. It's been a minute. And uh, this one is for uh, our friend Mike Brown over at Pleasing Terrors Podcast. Mm-hmm. It is an amazing show, you guys. If Perfect you haven't checked it out, Halloween too. Perfect for Halloween. So um, he is one of the he is one of the best voices out there in the biz. He does basically an excellent storyteller. He uncovers creepy history, forgotten folklore, and all kinds of different things. Very similar to the stuff that we cover. Mm-hmm. Um, so take a listen to this promo and go check out Pleasing Terrors. Yeah, yeah. Some stories were never supposed to be told. Stories that exist in the twilight between science and the supernatural, between history and horror. Stories that speak of terrifying things. Stories that you want to hear. Stories that you need to hear. Stories that will sink their teeth in and never let you go. My name is Mike Brown. Join me on a journey through the shadows of history. The Pleasing Terrors podcast weaves true stories of history and true crime with folklore and the paranormal. But be warned, there are no sweet dreams here, only nightmares. And we're back. Mm. So yeah, make sure you guys go check out Pleasing Terrors. They are part of the Dark Myths Collective, so you can go find them on that site. Mm-hmm. And it's a really, really great show. Really cool show. So we're picking up here um, in kind of a new era of Berkeley, mm-hmm. uh, of 50, number 50 Berkeley Square. When in, ni- in 18, I always want to say 19, throughout this whole thing, I kept on writing in 1940, <laughs> 1970. It's like, no. no. In 1872 was sort of the next stage, the next evolution of the horror of this place. (laughs) There was a guy by the name of Lord George Littleton, or Lyttleton, however you want to pronounce it. I feel like it's Littleton. Littleton. Mm -hmm. And he, very much like uh, Sir Robert Warboys, was sort of uh, dared slash on a bet, stayed a night in the building's attic. (laughs) So again, I mean, brave soul based on uh, another the sort of events. foolhardy kind of a person, hey? Yeah, the, and a lord too. Yeah, and the difference between this guy though and Warboys was that at the time, um, like I pulled this up, George Lord George Littleton in 1872 wasn't a young man. He wasn't in his twenties like Warboys was. He would have been the fourth. Uh, lord, the fourth baron of his from his descendant, uh-huh. and uh, he would have been in his fifties at least. Oh. So anyway, he's uh, having a few pints and obviously uh, <laughs> feeling feeling uh, feeling good. <laughs> feeling good. So very much like War Boys again, Lord, uh, Lord Littleton was adamant that there was absolutely nothing in the house. There's no such thing as ghosts, no such thing as monsters or anything alike. Hmm. But just in case, <laughs> he brought with him a shotgun 
and it wasn't uh, on the recommendation of the landlord this time. It was just him... Um, being cautious? Yeah, I suppose being cautious, I guess. It's kind of one thing to say, no such thing as anything, and then, oh, I'll just bring a shotgun with me. That's actually case. funny, yeah. yeah. What the heck, man? So once again, he goes up, everything's quiet and normal, but later on in the, in the night, Lord Littleton uh, was confronted by the thing of Ooh, number 50, Berkeley The nameless Place. horror. So... <laughs> yeah, basically, he was so frightened by this. I mean, this is kind of vague, this story. He's up in the attic. He's apparently, he's obviously bedded down for the night. What is he sleeping on? Is there okay. a bed up there? First of all, there... just because it says attic doesn't mean that it's like... It's just the top cobweb floor. Cobweb full it's of... the top Yeah, floor. like there were still bedrooms up there. There's it's not like it would have been like um, undeveloped. Like, no. you know what I mean? Like no. how a lot of people have unfinished basements here. Exactly. And, yeah. So, but it was a little vague. It's like, obviously, this was later in the evening. He had been up there for a little bit, settled in, when essentially he would, what he would later describe was a dark, misty mass of something he couldn't quite make out entered the room. Mm. (laughs) He was so frightened by this that he fired his shotgun, spraying bullets all over the wall opposite him. However, the next day, there was absolutely no evidence of any such creature in the attic, nor the hallways of the home near outside the attic, hmm. nor the floor below or anything like that. He was quoted later as saying that the upper rooms of this house are supernaturally fatal to body and mind. What? Basically, this was the first instance where there. this is something beyond just a specter. He was describing something with tentacles or long tendrils. Yeah. A dark, and a misty. misty mass with tendrils and something like tentacles. Much more monster than ghost-like. Hmm. That is bizarre. That might explain to, uh, like, if, it's, if it is this big, massive, bulking thing, perhaps that explains the thudding, right? Because you yeah. do get that in some accounts where it's almost like coming up the the stairs where it's like thud 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 like it reminds Either me up. again of like a cthulhu type of cephalopod maybe type of creature that is perhaps well we're gonna get into that in theories but anyways we're jumping ahead here a little bit but i mean definitely that, that is, is so that's the new evolution of the story right a new era for the square because now this is something beyond a haunting that description is very marked to me just the misty too misty and tendrils and a big bulking massive thing like that is very because up until then we all we've seen really is like the aftermath of what people have seen a lot of the times they're so petrified that either they can't describe it or they're already dead so it's like well what the heck is this right which is why it kind of gained the reputation as the nameless horror because no one knew what it was. They couldn't name it. Yeah. But anyways, this is interesting because now, literally less than, what is it, like seven years later. So we jump to from 1872 to 1879 when a new family is moving into 50 Berkeley. Yeah. Once again, so this is a fatal sort of encounter with the nameless horror. <laughs> fatal um, sort of encounter. Fatal sort of, is that what I said? Fatal completely. Fatal completely. <laughs> for some people. Right. Anyways, at this point, um, exactly like we've said, this is turning from a sort of haunting poltergeist story to something else. More horrific, more monstrous perhaps. More yeah. in the realm of cryptozoology. Possibly. So this new family, their name was the Kentfields. It was a daughter, or sorry, a daughter, two teenage daughters and their father. Okay. So no mother involved for some reason. Okay. Um, and they were preparing to move into the home. It was a standard move for them. Um, 
and much of the original furniture and th- furniture, sorry, and um, accoutrement of the house, uh, decor and everything was actually left behind. So would that have been from Curzon? Or no, it would have been from Myers. From Myers. Ooh, that's freaky. Which makes sense. He wouldn't pack up his stuff and bring it with him. It's no. just this insane recluse that decides to disappear. Exactly. He's not going to call the moving company. <laughs> no, which even speaks to maybe a ill fate for him. Hey, again, like I, I was kind of yeah. joking when I said, oh, maybe he was sucked down to the sewers. No, thing, I think something bad happened to Mr. Myers. I honestly think so too. So, interestingly enough, one of Kentfield's daughters, the eldest, made note of a strange foul odor in the house, as if it had been filled with a menagerie of animals. She described it as like a musty, dank smell. It's like a barnyard kind of smell. Yes. Musty, though, like that, again, alludes to water, basement, that type of thing to me. So, misty and all that kind of stuff kind of plays Misty, musty. (laughs) Misty, musty, come on, it's like a single letter difference here. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, um... So actually, one of the maids of the house was preparing one of the rooms in the upper story, so in the attic, um, for a temporary stay. So she was one of the people that was supposed to prepare the household for the Kenfields on their arrival. Mm -hmm. Um, She was occupying the same room that Lord Littleton had. The story goes that soon after she went upstairs, the other servants heard desperate, bone-chilling screams coming from the attic. They rushed up the stairs and burst into the room to the sight of the young maid cowering in the corner, her eyes bulging with fear and her face completely white. She was pointing towards what was no longer there, and with what little composure she could muster, she said, Please don't let it touch me. The maid was then actually committed to a sanatorium, and she died shortly after. I think it was less than a week after her encounter. Now, so, <laughs> that's disturbing. It? it? Don't What's let it? it touch me. Right? And and the fact that, again, she very similar to um, War Boy, where she's pointing to something that's not there anymore. Yeah. And the room is closed. The door's locked. Not locked, but it's, it's closed. Shot. It's yeah. shut. There's nowhere for anything to go. No. That's That, to me, part. speaks to something that's a little more interdimensional, right? Maybe right. this mist is something that it kind of comes up out Some of. Some sort of a portal. Yeah. But anyways... So this isn't the end of the Kentfield's terrifying encounter with this house. Uh, their story continues, and it says here, well, according to several sources, literally half an hour after they were in the house, Captain Kentfield himself was, I guess he was upstairs in those same rooms. Um, he actually was upstairs, and there were screams and a gunshot heard before the captain himself was discovered dead of fright. Yeah, from the same thing. And and what so... I what I uh, sort of uh, came across was that he very much like uh, Littleton was like a just, skeptic. He was yeah, a skeptic. He basically said like that that the the young woman who had just passed away in the sanatorium must have had something wrong with her. Like, had to have had some sort of pre-existing condition or something Something, like that. He didn't think there was anything there. He wanted to prove his family wrong. He wanted to prove his daughters wrong. This, again, is a very simple... Like, it's a theme, right? Where it's, like, people that are... Um, more ambivalent, more less believing, end up getting the worse end of the stick, it seems. Yes. And it's interesting because this was actually reported to uh, in Mayfair magazine that same year. So, 1879. 
I mean, and it, it details all of the tragic story elements. Right. And I couldn't actually come across, I was looking through so many different archive websites and stuff. I couldn't come across one that had more than just that, um, that little snippet that you see. It's just like a, a photo and it's literally like a ripped old newspaper clipping from supposedly the Mayfair magazine, but doesn't even actually say it in the little shred that's left. Right. But it basically is recounting that story. Yeah. Um, this this was from the Astonishing Legends blog, actually. This was the reason why he was going up to the room, too. It was ooh. to prove his daughter's wrong, but also because apparently the room was his. It was the, it was the room that was being prepared for him as his temporary okay. stay before the other bedrooms were ready. Okay. So it was being prepared for Captain Kentfield when he... You know, he still planned to spend the night in that in that room mm-hmm. that same evening because it was ready for him to go and the others weren't. And, uh, yeah, he was in it for 30 minutes before they heard the screams. And the same thing, run upstairs and find him dead, face twisted with... Uh, terror. Twisted in terror. Crazy, man. Yeah, definitely. Don't not believe in this stuff. <laughs> so that's the only advice I'll <laughs> give to anyone. Like, come on. Like, this is not even, like, the second encounter with this house, right? Like, this is, like the laundry list goes on and you think by this point like it's important to be skeptical but at the same time you can be skeptical of those who are skeptical (laughs) because if there's things that are even just not be skeptical be respectfully skeptical maybe yes yeah totally because there's lots of stuff in this world that we do not understand and i don't think it's best to question them and be very like have that type of attitude no i, I agree well I'm, in the interest of self-preservation that's exactly. probably a good idea be a little more humble people and the uh the next story here and the two gentlemen involved in it didn't really have um that uh frame <sighs> of mind this is so, my favorite story yeah this one's pretty interesting and it's i'm um, we're just calling it the sailors the um, sailors there are three different dates for this story depending on where you look and we did some digging and it was kind of hard to tell um some state yeah. that it was only three years after the very early encounter with sir robert Warboys, so this would have placed it in the mid 1840s mm-hmm. um several other blogs um place it in uh the evening of the christmas eve 1887 and then there's another a few others that reference it as the year um christmas eve 1943 um and we'll come back that's less important, but we'll come back to the reasons why I personally think it was 1887. Okay. If this, if you believe this story to be true. So anyway, um, so basically it goes that, that, uh, let's see, two young sailors, um, in some accounts allegedly from Portsmouth, uh, their names were Robert Martin and Edward Blunden. Um, and depending on where you look as well, they were taking leave from the HMS, uh, Penelope, Penelope, which mm-hmm. I believe was, a World War II vessel, so that matches up with that story, okay. but it, whether or not that actually is true, they're coming from that ship or not, I don't yeah. know. Anyway, mm-hmm. so basically, it's Christmas Eve. They've had a couple of drinks. They're celebrating, and of course, that did happen during wartime, too, if we're going with 1940s, and they needed a place to stay, so they were kind of, uh, you know, stumbling around downtown London, essentially, or mm. in the area of Berkeley, and they came across the house, which is essentially... Which, which was abandoned, right? This was one of the times when it was a little yeah. more derelict. Exactly. It had that, the telltale furlet sign, which would be a for rent sign in North America, right. but that's which, obviously very encouraging. Which matches <laughs> up with the year 1887 as an accurate date because this would have been a time when the house stood empty. Right. So, so they've been celebrating the holiday and had a little too much to drink, so they were trying to find a place to sleep. 
So basically, they stumble on number 50 Berkeley, and it goes that they break into the house. So it's in some disrepair. It wasn't that difficult to break in. Mm-hmm. The bottom floor bedrooms were apparently really damp. Um, they <laughs> smelled musty. Again, you get that similar. Something yeah. like that. Because clearly, if the roof was leaking, it wouldn't be the bottom floors that would no. be damp and musty. So that's a strange... It is strange. Strange. So, yeah. So, so of course, they naturally are like, hey, this isn't that comfortable. So they go up to the second floor. Apparently, Blunden, who was the slightly less intoxicated of the two, he made note of a very strange feeling in the house, but this was being completely ignored by Hmm. his friend. Mm -hmm. And they were quite intoxicated, so they just proceeded to fall asleep. And they went to sleep in the same room together. They didn't split up different rooms. Mm -hmm. But not very long after this, in the late hours of the night, they awoke to a terrifying sound. Hmm. They claimed that they... Well, (laughs) the one claimed later on, that they heard a bulking mass coming up, not down, coming up the stairs, thumping as as it went, okay? So Mm -hmm. basically, something akin to stomping footsteps, but not really quite sure if that's what it was. Mm -hmm. It was clearly, it, it sounded like something doing it deliberately, like in a menacing kind of way. I wonder what, it would have been like, thump, thump, thump. That's what I'm picturing. Or it was like, thump, 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 thump. I'm picturing a more slow, like menacing yeah. kind of like uh-oh like <laughs> probably shouldn't be here type of uh yeah apparently the sound was then followed by a terrible smell hmm. so this is harkening back to some of the other accounts the daughters of kentfield and such mm-hmm. then the door of the room swung open and a black faceless abject mass entered the room blocking what? the doorway which was their only means of escape <laughs> yeah entered the room i wonder if it opened the door if it glided through the door if it... uh the, the, the account that we have here oh, is that the open. door swung open okay um, but yeah so it's hmm. blocking the doorway okay. uh, I, I love that description though like a black faceless abject mass love that description that's <laughs> that... creepy man do you want to uh it's you... very yeah so this is where okay we've had two different blogs um tom tom sleeman's haunting world blog and then also the cryptopia blog um written by rob morphy mm-hmm. friend over cryptopia yeah um but anyways yeah so it, this there's discrepancies a little bit in the description so is it a monster or is it a ghostly entity or is it both i don't know interdimensional mm-hmm. but anyways um tom sleeman he wrote here quote the enormous shadowy figure of a man floated towards the sailors Martin woke up and found himself unable to move. He was paralyzed with fear. Blunden tried to get to his feet, but the entity seized him by the throat with its cold, misty-looking hands and started to choke him. Martin suddenly gained enough courage to enable him to spring to his feet. He tried to control or confront the apparition, sorry, but was so horrified by its deformed face and body, he found himself fleeing from the house. He encountered a policeman in the square outside and told him of the vapory assailant that was throttling his friend. Okay, so that was from okay. Tom Sleeman. And then so like Cryptopia. Hand, like hands. That, that implies like a oh, human. Yeah. Uh, again, well, it said here the shadowy figure of a man. Yeah. didn't say bulking mass of an entity right. or something. Okay. But Let's... anyways, I'm not sure how many creative liberties they took with that. Um, True. <laughs> anyway. You never know. Cryptopia. So Morphe writes here. The the sailors, quote, came face to face with the aberrant visage of what could only be described as a hideous monstrosity. The creature undulated between the sailors and what was their only hope for escape? The open door. 
Then, just as the trembling Blunden began to reach for the rifle, which was still wedged in the window frame, the creature suddenly lunged forward, wrapping itself young, around the young sailor's throat. So you've got hands around a throat. What? You've got essentially tentacles around a throat. Okay. That's insane. That, yeah. So I'm, I don't even know. Yeah, a hideous monstrosity. Obviously, this thing is inhuman, otherworldly. Like, these are all things we can agree on. The nuances are a little bit different, though. A little bit. Honestly, what this first one reminds me, the Tom Sleeman one reminds me of perhaps a... An echo from the very first, from that guy that, um, the, the uncle, remember the guy that was sort of like, he was making unwanted advances against his nieces or something right, like that. Yeah, yeah. What if this is him? What if he wasn't just like making sexual advances, but he was also very um, physically abusive? Like I could imagine like, he's just like choking this guy. Well, One thing that's the weird. apparition angle. Exactly. Right. But then the monster, that's a little bit. That's interesting though. I never actually noticed this rifle element in the Cryptopia article where there was a rifle wedged in the window frame like uh, my explanation for that is obviously these are these are uh, navy men they must have had weapons and maybe they propped it open for to air it out with their gun so there's just a gun poking out into the middle of london street on christmas eve i guess i mean (laughs) that's the only thing i can that i can think of the other thing um with this and and the discrepancies between these two different sort of versions yeah the only thing that makes sense to me would be like the sur- well, first of all, we should give the rest of the story here. Okay, okay. <laughs> so, all right. So, anyway, so we have one of the two sailors being essentially choked out by this monstrosity, mm-hmm. while the one other one managed to run, get past this monster, down the stairs, um, and, uh, you know, outside. When the escaped sailor, he basically, he the story goes, he ran out, and even though this is the middle of the night, he runs into a police officer. Yeah, okay. On the beat. Mm-hmm. He frantically tries to explain what is going on he basically all he can get out is that something terrible has happened obviously comes back to the scene with this police officer only to find his the body of his friend had been impaled on the mm. on the railings outside of the window that he had either those same railings fallen to his there. death jumped to his death or been thrown to his death by something in that room so that yeah that, that's that's, <laughs> that's how the that, three options that's how that story but that's interesting kind of too, because to again, there I'm I'm honestly just picking up on this parallel now, which is kind of hilarious because we've been doing this research for a while. But again, the, the the falling death that again was the very first instance of tragedy in that house. So maybe it's replaying itself. Maybe though, you could even argue that that girl who never told her story because she died. What if she wasn't trying to escape the abuses of her uncle? She what if she saw that thing. similar thing too? Yeah. That's kind of what I'm leaning towards here mm-hmm. and that people would just be kind of, and what I was going to say before finishing the, finishing the story here is that my explanation for the differences could be that he originally saw a monster, right? Like they were, he thought they were attacked by this misty tendrilled mass of whatever. Okay. Mm-hmm. But later on, that story s- just slightly gets tweaked a tiny bit to make a little more sense where it's the specter of more of a human-like figure, a haunted house mm-hmm. type Who situation. knows how much of that actually came from his mouth versus just general reporting at the time? No way to know. Yeah. But that would make sense, right? Because you're going to be less, you're going to be looked down on less to say, 
oh, I think I saw a ghost in the place that everyone knows is haunted, mm-hmm. or no, uh, we were attacked by a monstrosity, by like a Cthulhu sort of. octopus monster. Yeah, You're probably going to get locked up in the Airedale-esque asylum, <laughs> right? If you, no, really, though. Yeah, like, no, you actually, would be. that's very true. Okay, wait, so I have to question you now. You said you had some reasons as to why you thought it might have been the 1870 or 1887 date. Oh, yeah, right. So... Two, two, or there's two main reasons. One, that the from all accounts that we could come up with, the 1880s was a time when the house was most likely empty. Oh, true, yeah. Okay, so you mentioned um, that. Mm-hmm. And the, it's, this is like the most expensive place in London. So mm. in the 1940s, I know it's wartime, but this is definitely when the, the people living there, the property value, this is when the Churchills of the area were in those places. Not to mention that Christmas Eve 1943... Mm-hmm. Like, we have to go back and look at... we we got to go talk to our old history professor, uh, Todd Campbell, about this. Yeah. But I'm, I know people celebrated Christmas, obviously, during the Second World the War. Would there have Christmas. been naval officers just out and about walking around downtown London when there were air raids and different things like that? It sounds a little bit less likely to me that Actually, 43 would make sense. that makes sense because during that time they had uh, curfew. Right. There wasn't people so there was, on the So streets. they would have been big time breaking the rules. Plus, for mm. only two of them to be on their own is also kind of a weird thing. And so two sailors usually, on leave? Yeah. Well, it, yeah, you wouldn't have been on leave, like Christmas mm. 1943. Well, sometimes they're generous. I don't know. It's not completely implausible. But it's not completely, but it just makes more sense <clears throat> to me that 1887 would have been the... Uh, and you think there would be some references to the fact that it was wartime in Britain and right. that there was the potential fact of air raids. I can't remember when the bombing of London commenced and then actually finished yeah we but i feel like it was definitely around this time it was in and the around war. that time mm-hmm. yeah so i mean it could have been boarded up in the 40s and it could have been that could have been 43 but to me it makes more sense that 87 they would have been in port and you know had some time to have some drinks and walk around and there's a, a photograph supposedly of these two men these two sailors right and we will put that right. up online yeah but um the style of photograph, very like sepia tome or whatever, that that was definitely, you know, that it was very much 1880s, 1890s is what the photograph looked like to me. It didn't look like it a did. photograph taken in 1943. Actually, yeah, that's a really good way. Yeah, I, I didn't even really think about that. To that be was another oh, aspect of that oh, too. That's big. Yeah, if we ask any like British naval expert, then they'll be able to tell us. Right. I imagine. Uh, I'm actually just researching here. As I'm researching, I just put into my Google search engine. <laughs> 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 um, the bombing of London, uh, 1943. So exactly that. In late 1943, so around Christmas time, yeah. the Allied uh, bombing offensives, they were actually gaining momentum against Germany. And then as a response, the Luftwaffe was preparing a bombing operation against the United Kingdom. That was Operation Steinbock, apparently. Right. But So I'm not sure if that had actually commenced yet or was yeah. soon to be underway. But anyway, anyways, it's not that crucial for the story, no. but we like to try to dig and get the proper dates and stuff. And we're just history geeks, kind of just we kind of are. So I mean, if stuff. you guys feel like doing some digging on your own too, please do and let us know. Um, Ooh, if you yeah. think that we can the share date, it with the forum and yeah. all that, mm-hmm. let us know if you think 1887 is the is the one. We should just do here. a poll, <laughs> see what people think. <laughs> yeah, we could. But uh, yeah, so that kind of wraps it up for a lot of the more notable stories. I was really pleased with how many we actually came up with in the end, because when you do a quick search around, you get the two quintessential ones, like the the War Boy one and then the Sailors. But yeah. there's a lot more if you dig around in the story. That the history is really rich. So 
love this story. And thanks again to Aaron for suggesting this to us. We have, yeah. Totally. I feel like we've used so many of his suggestions so far. Like He's thrown out a lot of good ones. They're great. And they're other people obscure. have as well, and they're banked. Like oh, they're, sure. they're on the list, and keep them coming. Oh, yeah. You guys have things you want to hear, let us know. Yeah, and we're starting to get a lot of, like we already said, movie suggestions too. Yes. Films. And we are big into vintage films. We love love that golden era of Hollywood. Totally. And if anyone else, like if they have any of their favorites from that sort of era, we'd love to hear that. Yeah, yeah. But anyways, getting back onto topic. We're, we're migrating into we theories and thoughts. Thoughts and theories. On and this messed conjecture, up story. Even though we already offered a lot of conjecture. That's well. Yeah. But dubs TF people, what are we dealing with here? Seriously, what is this? Is this a haunted house? Is it a demonic entity? Is it a monster? Are we like diving into the realm of cryptozoology? What the heck, man? What do you think, Andrew? Well... <laughs> just put you right on the spot. I keep throwing out interdimensional, and I we both said Cthulhu. I, I don't know. I'm. I mean, I got to tell you, I'm leaning that way. I mean, yeah. why don't you? Here, you should give them this um this little description here from well, Cryptopia. Cryptopia. Like okay. Our, oh 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 yeah yeah sorry 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 yeah this. This is, again, yeah, from Rob Morphy, who writes very colorful. I love his writing. It's awesome. Yeah, I can no, actually, so cool. when I'm reading his articles, I actually hear his voice in my head saying it out loud. Oh, yeah. Which is just awesome. But anyways, he says here, this unidentifiable, unidentifiable monstrosity is said by some to be a vile, phantasmagorical killer from beyond the grave. Although, though there is some evidence to suggest that it may be a bizarre, mutant cephalopod which <laughs> lurks in the filthy labyrinth of the London sewer system waiting to rise up and kill again. Yeah. So I love that. I mean and we mentioned this already it's this divide between kind of these two different paranormal categories here. Mm-hmm. Um could it be somewhere in the middle? Like where and that's and that's kind of like what I yeah. get when he describes it as a, a a phantasmagorical killer and then also a cephalopod. A cephalopod. Yeah. Because the, the, the mist and the, the... All the elements of water. Yeah. Like, there's a lot... Okay. Oh, yes. Okay. So, this was a point, yeah. We've already mentioned this. So it's not a huge revelation. But, yeah. So, we got that description of misty in several accounts. Yeah. We've gotten descriptions of a musty smell. That was from um, the... Kenfields Ken and from the sailors. Exactly. Downstairs. And... And then, in modern times, which we haven't actually covered yet, um, this is when it converts into Madge's Bookshop. It's like an antiquarian bookshop. And right. it was run for over 60 years. This guy, Madge's, uh, occupied the building. Mm-hmm. as Not as a tenant, though. He just ran his business Yeah, just the it. commercial space downstairs. Which seems bizarre to me. Who was occupying the upper floors then? I don't think anyone was. That's weird. Time. And apparently, according to several, like, Ghost Hunt UK and other sources, uh, there was, like, a... A sign, a notice saying that the top floor should never be used by anyone, including the owners, which is weird. And I did Google search it again and didn't actually see that on the door or anything. Maybe it's on the door to the attic upstairs. Perhaps. Who knows? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, up to the upper stories. But this is interesting because this brown mist is also described by... This guy, Julian Wilson, who worked in the bookshop, and he actually had an office on the second floor. Okay. Yes. Okay. So, not the top floor or anything, but the second floor. And you do see him in a documentary. Um, can't remember the name of the documentary, but if you do a quick uh, 
YouTube search, you'll find it. And he goes up the stairs and then he goes and he tells this story about how he's sitting in his office or at his desk in the same room. He describes it as the same room, which doesn't make sense because it's on the first, second, second floor. floor. Yeah. I think he's just trying to hype up the story. But anyways, he describes how he's sitting there working at his desk, looking at his computer and out of the corner of his eye, he saw this brownish mist appear. And it moved very quickly from one end of the floor to the other. So quite rapid, how we described, which is right. weird, right? You think a mist would be more like uh, free floating, exactly, or something. Like, a little bit more undulating, sure, yeah. in the words of Rub. But um, yeah, so he described that, and it quickly disappeared. Nothing ever came of it. It's not like he had like a terrifying encounter where he was petrified or anything like that. And that was kind of it. He didn't really describe any sort of musty smell either. Right. Okay, so that's a difference there. Oh, and another really good point on the note of musty, misty, and potential water damage and things that could explain that smell. Doesn't make much sense to open up a bookshop if you have water issues, which to me speaks to another source for those sound or smells and that Yeah, mistiness. it clearly wasn't from the plumbing, <laughs> no. so to speak. Um, but... There's definitely aspects of this that would make people who are skeptical think things like that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so I have another, like, <laughs> we're leaning on you, Rob, <laughs> Morphe, <laughs> like, because that was a great article. It really um, was. Especially when it comes to, like, the cryptozoological angle, obviously, right? Yeah. So this was another sort of me paraphrasing from Rob's article on Cryptopia, which you guys should go check out. Um, but, like, we're dealing with an amorphous being, mm-hmm. formless and slimy. So what? formless. That's slimy? Was there remnants left behind? So here's the thing. So apparently, yeah, like, so I guess another sort of extended version of the sailor's story would be that there was a gruesome sloppy, there's gruesome sloppy noises that come (laughs) along with the encounters with this thing. Oh dear. When it moves, when it was coming up and down stairs, there's thuds, but also they claim that there's these noises, these, like, I can just picture it, right? It's like... Mm. sloppy, just disgusting sounds. It's like a wet, like, suckering kind of weird sound, yeah. While others obviously describe it, like we've said, like a shapeless spectral form or a collection of shadows, right? Mm. Um, That apparently, in some accounts, according to Rob's article, attacks its victims with clawed feet and sharp razor-like bird talons. What? So those are strange. That reminds me of the beak of an octopus. Yes. That can be quite Exactly. That's Mm. exactly what I'm leaning towards here. Hmm. So... They're sort of conflicting, right? Like, it, it's conflicting, but all these things and the encounter with the sailors have led sort of researchers to pretend, to think that maybe we're dealing with some sort of small, deformed, mutant, freshwater octopi. Okay. Or cephalopod, like we've mentioned, right? That's coming up from the that sewers? That would leave a viscous trail in its wake as it moves about the house. Now, we didn't have trace evidence from the Littleton, from the Kentfield, from the, the maid that died shortly after. There weren't, there was no slime trail. So, no. that is like, <clears throat> excuse me, that's like coming back around to the interdimensional aspect of this monster. Very much like a Cthulhu yeah. to me. Because this doesn't get us any closer to what this thing is. Is Looking it, at is it ghost goo? You know what I mean? Have you, you, have you ever heard that? The ghost oh, line? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's a thing people report, but I don't know if that actually hangs around or if it disappears. Or... Do you think that there could be some type of semi-aquatic cephalopod lurking beneath the sewers of London that this thing is potentially a a mutant? I'm not going to say no, because 
all the evidence seems to point <laughs> all the evidence towards the possibility <laughs> of something like that and i'm not going to sit here and say it's not because so uh, the creepiest thing about that thought is that that would mean that such a creature would have to have its nest or something alike in the depths of number 50 Berkeley Square, right? So it's Mm -hmm. some sort of unknown marine ancient creature that's managed to migrate from the River Thames into London's sewer system? That's... It's far-fetched. It's not the most far-fetched thing I think we've ever covered on this show, so... (laughs) I like that, I mean, that's the cryptozoological realm of this. Yeah, because... Right, and that would explain why these things aren't happening anymore. Like, people feel people feel weird things, they see things, and there's still sort of, like, paranormal stuff, people might claim, later they do. on. Oh, they but do, yeah. nobody's been attacked by a, a this creature Which since. almost, like, I really, really, really love that thought and that sort of idea, but at the same time, is it... If you're thinking in sort of, like, the Occam's Razor or whatever, like, what is the most, the simplest... Um, I feel like a lot of that colorful language could have been just like added in over the years. It could have been. For and the sure. descriptions, because those, that's. Oh, what? Like, who? What? <laughs> the whole like, razor claw talon things, that's crazy too. But that could be, like, I mean, like you said, that's very much like the beak of an octopi, though, like yeah. an octopus. Mm-hmm. Um, super sharp. And they're, you know. The idea would be that it would be feeding off rats and different things in the sewer system, right? That it would have evolved mm-hmm. to be sort of semi-aquatic. And I stumbled across a very interesting article claiming that in 2008, this mm-hmm. is from the Daily Mail, they reported that sewer workers nearby um, that were basically working at a water treatment plant claimed that they were being stalked by an unknown creature um, that they on- they could only describe as being the total abject. It was human-like, but not at all at the same time, living in the sewers. The sewers worker big... believed in this thing. So according to the workers, the figure would follow them around and make noise reminiscent of laughter or some type of squealing that was very menacing. And it persisted for so long that eventually paranormal investigators would go and try to look into this. Mm-hmm. And after spending some time down in the sewers and doing their testing, they turned up no trace evidence, but they felt the presence of things living amongst them down there and apparently also came across completely devoured carcasses of rats. Hmm. They, yeah. <laughs> and apparently, too, they would even hear, they heard, like, voices coming from behind walls where there couldn't possibly be any city workers. That's weird. Now, that is obviously a different angle altogether. That's, like, a population of humanoids like, living in the sewer. But I feel like we're migrating significantly here. Like, I is know. there multiple things going on at this house? Because in the early years, you do get more of a haunting-esque type of thing going on yes. where people see spectral entities like falling to their deaths repeatedly over a series of nights and then it evolves into something different and again like i said like how much of this comes from the lore created through fiction through the spread of rumors on the streets well, in, in publications that. all that kind of thing when you wrote down here i mean there's some famous authors there with is links to 50 berkeley exactly charles dickens had a big interest in this particular house and even like he had a character in one of his stories called great expectations i believe and it was a miss havisham i i I might have that wrong but i think it was havisham and she essentially is mr myers (laughs) (laughs) she's the female version of him where she essentially gets jilted and he said that he had inspiration in real life from her 
but he never divulged what that was. So perhaps it actually was Mr. Myers, even though some people will allude to this one woman in Australia that was apparently very similar who hmm. left her like wedding cake to rot and everything um, after plans didn't work out. Huh. And then there was another one in New York, apparently, or somewhere in the U.S. that was very similar and, and had left an entire feast left to just like rot. But anyways, I honestly feel like Mr. Myers is a better... Um, better inspiration than those two. Yeah, I'd say so too. And then you also get another author. Oh, I can't remember his name now, but apparently he wrote, he he used 50 Berkeley as the setting for one of his stories. And um, afterwards, uh, what's his name? Oh my gosh, I'm totally blanking. The Necronomicon author. Uh, Lovecraft. Lovecraft. He actually said that it was the best short story written about a haunted house ever. Really? That's yeah. saying something. So again, you do get reference, like literally Lovecraft is involved. He's tangled in here. Yeah. So like, what if over the years could have divulged, um, or sorry, uh, devolved into something involving his characters, right? Because you do get this Cthulhu-like um, monstrosity. Unless the... So my question is, what is coming first? The accounts or the fiction that sort of right. bleeds into and creates this folklore, all these yeah. rumors and the legend, right. and ultimately an urban legend? I don't know. And I think, well, that would definitely... See, coming back to the sailor's story, when that story happened actually really matters then, when you bring in Lovecraft being involved. Because yeah. if it was in the 1880s, that would make way more sense because Lovecraft became most famous in the 20s. Okay. Um, I believe. So, it was definitely early um, 20th century. Yeah, so he would have been a young kid at the time that story would have come out, right? Mm-hmm. Like, maybe that's where Cthulhu came from. Perhaps. From this Actually, story. that's, that's like, interesting accounts, too. right? Yeah. Because um, hmm. that kind of makes sense to me. It's very similar. It is. Monster. It is. What? Okay, I mean, I guess if we can kind of like, if we're coming down to the wire here, we're going to wrap this up. We are what, coming down what, to the wire. Um, I mean, if you had to kind of... If you had to kind of lean towards one thing, what is it? What, what are you thinking is the explanation for the events at this house? <laughs> I don't know, man. Like, in some of the sources we read, I feel like it might even be the freaking building itself. Like, it's just, like, emanating this weird spectral, like, energy that's just very... That can manifest in various ways and almost maybe perhaps has its own consciousness about it too, where it will leave some people alone. It will leave the miscursions of the world alone and the right. mages who um, respect them. It was interesting, actually, this, um, the bookshop owner, um, Mr. Mages, I don't know if I'm saying that right, sorry or if I'm not. Mags or something, or I don't know. Mags, I don't know. But he said that he did feel a presence he just respected it and he considered it in much the same way as a lot of um the first-hand books first edition books that he like reads like where he's like he made the analogy like oh yeah i'm reading captain cook's uh, uh memoirs and i feel like i know him and i feel like i know the spirits of this place in a very similar way where they're kind of just like there they're that's present. the right approach to have i suppose but apparently this guy he didn't last very long the bookshop well he lasts very long he stayed there for about 60 years the bookshop is now closed yeah in 2015 it closed down and apparently the new owners do report objects being thrown around a strange brown mist floating on the premises and it's been closed to investigation though like it's not really open to the public at all yeah and it's very frustrating for people like Ghost Hunt UK. Right. Yeah, no, no <laughs> they're kidding, mad about right? it. <laughs> but I don't know. I'm thinking more leaning towards. Oh, I don't know, Andrew. Why do you make me do I know. This? I know. I know. There was one interesting story that for the skeptics out there, they would 
definitely latch onto this. And Rob mentions it in his article, and there's it's all over the internet as well. Um, that there was a, a paranormal investigator in the 1920s named Harry Price mm. who allegedly dug up some information from old publications, um, <clears throat> basically stating that in 1790 or thereabouts there was a counterfeiting operation going on at the 50 Berkeley, which okay. literally would have been in the very first years of it being built. Yeah, um, but that the owners or the people you know running it concocted stories about ghosts and monsters to keep people away oh. very much like a scooby-doo-esque kind of a oh yeah scenario i don't know how accurate that is just because this guy dug it up in a newspaper hmm. it doesn't mean anything right lots of yellow journalism in the 18 in the late 1800s and things like that so it could yeah. just be an article about whatever yeah um but i thought that was kind of uh, funny and kind of interesting that is i and because of course that's tied to the haunted ghost aspect whether it's fake or right. not i yeah. think that ultimately i almost feel like as much as i want to lean cryptozoological or interdimensional with like a monster that is more of a physical entity which i basically do on every episode <laughs> um i think this is really a haunted house i think that there is a haunting going on here mm-hmm. and that the experiences people have that are very different whether it be a a spectral uh, human-like creature, human-like person, you know, strangling you with icy hands, or if it is a tentacle mass that can't really be described. I think these are just people's, um, this is just the context for them. This is their, this is their nightmares. It's, you're seeing, you're seeing what you're seeing in the moment when this, when this energy is like, yes. And it doesn't mean that, oh, you know, Joe Blow is afraid of octopus, Mm -hmm. octopi so therefore that's what he sees in the doorway it doesn't have to make sense (laughs) it's just different for everyone that's cool but i i I feel like what if it's a shapeshifter and it's just like oh this is the shape i'm in right now so that's what you're getting i mean obviously to go cryptozoological though the picture of the basement like the 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 sewer system beneath the house yeah it looks like huge like you could fit a speedboat in there oh yeah and that's sort of creepy so like if you want to go that route, like, things could be swimming around in the sewers, that's for sure. There was a story way back in the day about, like, black swine in the sewers of London. Like, literally, Ooh. like, full-size hogs, oh, like, wow. eating stuff and living down there. Interesting. Obviously, people know about the alligators in New York sewers and True. all those stories and things like that. that that's an angle, it's too. It's freaky. Like, yeah, that, that photo that I think I'm remembering the one that you're referencing and it is really creepy it's like this huge open like like catacomb like yeah thing and like i'm wondering (laughs) (laughs) i'm wondering too like how much access each building would have had to that area don't know i'm almost i don't know yeah i wonder because the construction would have been a lot different than modern construction definitely that probably wouldn't have allowed that this overall, though, one of uh, one of my favorites that we've covered so far because it was just rabbit hole after rabbit hole, and I wanted that. Like, it was fun. It really was fun. And this episode could keep going. Like, there's more, but... There is. There's... You know what? We've covered the juicy stuff. Yeah. Um, that's my take on it. Yeah. We want to know what you guys think. What is going on? What was going on at number 50, Berkeley? Like, do you think it's a monster? Do you think it's an apparition? Do you think that maybe it was built over top of grounds with some ancient stuff going yeah. on? And who is going to have the next tale to tell yeah. about 50 Berkeley exactly. and the nameless horror? Yes. <laughs> Two more things before we uh, before we exit here, folks. Don't forget the pumpkin carving contest. Please don't. Yeah. And number two, next week we have uh, the second installment of our uh, Film Fridays. Oh, yeah. And uh, we Ooh. will be discussing 
the ritual. The ritual. So now, make sure you put yeah, on your watching hats exactly. and go get on Netflix if it's on there or yeah. whatever. So hopefully you guys service. all have access to it. That's the one we're covering. It's an awesome movie, so go check that out. Uh, third watch thing, it in the dark. Third thing, we are also releasing our October, I'm sorry, it's a little bit late. A little late. Our October Patreon bonus mini-sode. Yes. And it's freaky. Yeah. Okay. It's a spooky one. So it's go really... check us out on uh, patreon.com forward yeah. slash into the portal and see what we have to offer. Mm-hmm. So until next time, you guys, or I guess I should say too, like shoot out your ideas to us as mm-hmm. always into the portal mailbox at gmail.com yep. or DM us on any social media platform. Mm-hmm. You guys know where to find us. Yep. And until next time. Mm-hmm.